That's a great story. <laughs> I have a good Toad's Place story too. I played there with Rich Price and oh, you uh, did? Okay. opened for Ziggy Marley and uh, oh, wow. Ziggy Marley's enormous bodyguard came up to, to Rich and said, only tree rules tonight and then you'll have a great set. Rule number one, don't talk to Ziggy. <laughs> rule number two, don't talk to Ziggy. Can you guess rule number three? <laughs> Rich is like, I got it. So, it's a real friendly vibe. We had a good old we had a good old time. <laughs> fifty years of music with fifty year old white guys. Fellas, how are you on this fine Wednesday evening? Woo! Woo! Uh Knoxville, Tennessee. Ben, you're cranking along. Ready to do it, yep. Excellent. Jeff Simons in Berkeley. Are you excited for 1993? I am excited for 1993. I was not excited by my experience today in 2020. So I am <laughs> I am looking to this to bring some joy to the world. Let's so. go back in time. Uh, first things first, uh, we're on the uh, Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. Uh, that's the website where you can get all sorts of great articles and podcasts on so many different things. We are 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. And we make mistakes. So we have to start off with a correction from the 1992 podcast. Uh, Jeff Simons, last week you were asked, which do you think had a, a bigger effect on George Bush's loss? Did you think it was Ross Perot? Or did you think it was the Black Hawk Down incident in Somalia, the Battle of Mogadishu? You said Ross Perot. And I apparently was very wrong. You, sir, were correct because Black oh. Hawk Down occurs this year in 1993. What... Well, how about so, that? No wonder uh, that didn't occur to you. Mark Bruffle is our um, he's our diplomatic correspondent on the podcast. Uh, my good friend Bruffle pointed out that mistake. Our bad. Well, you guys are so fast and loose with the years with your picks that we just get generally confused. That's probably what happened. And also, Tim, it's not our bad man. Let's just clarify. <laughs> it's not our There's what? plenty of things that are, in fact, my bad or our bad. That's not it, on the list. Was this mine? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. What's this yours? You're the history man. No, but I also like it. You're like, our bad. Things happen. Yeah. Mistakes are made. And, and really, if you're tuning into us and depending on us for our, our facts, I, I have bad news. I have bad news. Wait, they're, turn, they're tuning in for your facts. They're tuning in for Ben's charm. And, and I'm not sure why I'm here. I, I'm here for the complimentary sodas. I think they're, tur- they're tuning in to hear three guys get through the pandemic. I think that's basically uh, the big draw. Speaking of which, we got pushed out on Tuesday by a very popular blog. Uh, uh, The blog mentioned us, said this blog, uh, said this podcast is a lot of fun. Just to give you a sense of what we're normally dealing with here on the pod, we get about 60 downloads or listens when we push out a new podcast on Wednesday morning. From there, gentlemen, you guys don't know the numbers of what I'm dealing with here at headquarters, (laughs) but pretty much it's 20 22, et cetera, so that each podcast is getting us to around 120 listens. Great numbers, right? Our goal, as you may recall, was 1,000, which we've reached. 
So this is how last week went. Wednesday, 69 listens. Thursday, 35, then 22, then 21. Sunday, we're down to 20. Monday, 23. Tuesday, I check at 1 o'clock, and we're at 540. <laughs> at at one thirty, it's 680. At, at, at 2 o'clock, we're at 937. And oh I... God. I'm like, what is going on? And I email Simplecast and I said, and guys at Simplecast have been awesome. And I said, you've got some sort of weird aberration. And they emailed back and said, uh, yeah, our engineers have looked at it. This is a, a legit spike. You, you've got a nice spike going. I'm like, no, I'm over a thousand. You don't understand. This isn't a spike. This is a, a, a problem. Uh, we had 1,727 downloads on Tuesday. Wow. Dude, they have a word for this. What's uh, it? The name of the blog is Instapundit, and they call uh-huh. it an Instalanche because if you get linked on it, you just get buried in interest. So we are very, very fortunate to be the recipients. And so today we're up to 462. I don't Unbelievable. know. I don't know what's happening. Really nice guys over there at Instapundit to celebrate us. The comments, however, we're don't not never read the comments. We're not. That's an iron rule of internet life. Is it don't. really is kind of uh, true. I just like you can't. You can't even read the comments on like, <laughs> a, a like a band's board written by people who love the band because they. Oh also no, that's hate, even worse. They they the more the ba- passionate they, people are, the worse yeah, the comments. They are. hate the band that they love so much. You know, well, like. Well, to give you a, a sense of Instapundent's audience, there are. Um, I think they are skewing older than 50-year-old white guys. They're very upset that we started in 69. So maybe we'll have to go back. And not 49? That's awesome. Maybe we'll have to go back and and do some earlier years. The Andrew sisters totally getting the shaft here on the the pod. That's right. The one that really sticks out to me, and if if you'd like to go on iTunes and put down positive reviews, please do, because it was this gentleman who said, these guys are not funny not interesting and not informative. They are just scratchy, whiny wannabes with a horrible music selection. <laughs> what can you say? You know, I sometimes mean, they just get you. Yeah, I was going to say, when does it get <laughs> inaccurate? <laughs> <laughs> the wannabe thing. Yeah, like I, I do want to. Am I a wannabe? Yeah. No, you actually are. You're awesome. You're a B. You're an actual B. I want to. I want to be 15 pounds lighter. About that's about it. All you right. Wish you, you wish you were a baller. You wish you were a little bit taller. Uh, too short. Excellent. So, uh, it is 1993, and with this uh, boost in our listens, it's really Jeff Simons. Kind of a whole new world for us. Yeah, I'm a little nervous now. I don't know what to do. Oh, that was a cue. Oh, oh, you were so clever. Oh, yeah, here. It's the Grammy winner. A Whole New World by Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell. I've got a really bad feeling about this. I can show you the world Shining, shimmering, splendid Tell me, princess, how when this one. did you one moment, sir. <laughs> I can open your eyes. Take you one <laughs> by one. 
I really like this movie. I don't like this song, but I did like the sideways and under on a magic carpet ride. It is uh, Peebo Bryson. You, you may remember him Pebo. back in the uh, Luther Vandross episode uh, <laughs> when we celebrated the new soul. Oh, Tim, you must 80s. be really happy then. Oh, it just went stroke in. Are you liking this? It's good. It's, Tim's, Tim's nice, it's nice to see soul music back in the charts. <laughs> Neo soul, right? Isn't that what you uh, called it? Yeah. <laughs> who, who did he sing with? Peebo Bryson and who was it else? Regina Bell singing Regina Bell. The, the part of of whatever her name is princess jasmine jasmine yeah yeah all right you know that movie's not aged well my friend i don't know if you remember but she's 16 for no good reason and uh uh, also i've actually used a piece of that in a cultural appropriations class Uh really effectively so (laughs) i don't know if you've seen it recently but it's not one of those ones that they're gonna hang their hat on 20 years from now they made all sorts of changes for the live action uh, version that came out last year with will smith as the genie uh and the plain family enjoyed that up and down oh you actually saw it oh yeah In the i theater. just enjoyed twitter's just <laughs> ruthless takedown of will smith as the genie and never watched one second of it I, he, but, uh, he was great he was awesome all right let's move on no more arguments wait is that the grammy winner or the number one hit that or was both. the grammy winner Oh, I should have known that was the Grammy winner. Good Lord. It, it has that syrupy keyboard. You can't win a Grammy unless it starts. Oh. That's really, amazing. This is a number of years. That's the same row. song as Wind Beneath My Wings again. It's it is. three out of four years. That's just Wind Beneath the uh, Carpet. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> All right. What was happening in 1993? It is um, Bill Clinton's first year as president. We've got a little situation that happens in Waco, Texas. Oh, if you yeah. um, if you want to go a, a deep dive down into cult land and learn about the Branch Davidians, you can find out all about what happened. When do you know how many people died at the Branch Davidian ca- compound? It's a lot. It's like five hundred and eighty-seven or something like that, right? <laughs> Seventy-six. But oh, I mean, I it, was it was like six hundred people. It's still really. A lot. It's only seventy-five people. I thought it was like. Whole families. I thought it was like Jonestown level. It was only 76. No, I mean, that's a lot of people in one compound. I'm not disagreeing. It's a lot of people. I just thought it was an astonishing number of people. Ben, would you like to enter in on what number constitutes a lot of deaths? That's just nothing right there. I I eat that much for breakfast. I'm sorry, but COVID COVID has recalibrated what a good number is. In other bad news, we had the... uh, (laughs) bombing of the world trade center in 1993 with the uh truck bombs in the parking yeah. garage and that was terrifying monica sellis oh, get what stabbed it's knifed in between games right is that, that the u.s open where they stabbed her no, no it was it's a germany. tournament in germany oh, okay can you imagine that happening with twitter now like the I number know. of no i can't actually uh, i i mean in between matches man comes out of the audience and stabs her in the shoulder uh ben barton do you remember why he did that no recollection i remember the event really well but i don't i, I, right. I mean assume because he's super crazy but super crazy good uh jeff simons well i assume because he uh was trying to impress a pretty gal that why most of these events take place but not kind of 
That's pretty good, Jeff Simons. He was a huge Steffi Graf. There fan. it is. Um, but apparently not enough to believe in her. And so he felt he had to take out her number one competition. You know what's amazing, too, is that would be the horrifying attack and athlete story of the 90s, except that it's just a warm-up. Oh, I know. The, for the delicious feast coming next year. I mean, oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. What happens next year? Oh, come First on. of all, we're hearing from our Olympics Bureau. <laughs> right. Winter Olympics. Tanya's going to pipe a... Uh, oh, what's your face? God, that was next crazy. Year. Yeah, Nancy man, I can't wait to talk about that. Nancy local Kerrigan. girl, local girl for us Bostonians. Oh, that that was so bizarre. Okay, uh, moving on. We have to get to our number one hit, Jeff Simons. We are trying to. Last week we went an hour and fourteen minutes. No, no, we're going to be under fifty this time. Let's go. It's the number one hit. I will always love you by Whitney Houston. It, uh, should stay I would only be in your way so I'll go but I know I'll think of you every step of the way And I will always love you, will always love you. Keeping it under 50 minutes, we're going to pull it wow. right there. Although, was I that in the that, movie or that was just regular Whitney Houston? Oh, no, from The Bodyguard. That's the Kevin Bodyguard Costner. one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Costner, yeah. once again, riding the zeitgeist. <laughs> Did you um, see that movie, Jeff Simons? Nope. Nope. I, th- I felt like the music oh, video was that. the whole movie. So I didn't watch it. You saw uh, that, really? Oh, hells yeah. Really? Was it good? No. This is back. Really this is when Ben <laughs> would go to the movie movies by himself to a multiplex oh, and totally. go to a one. 345, 6, and 930 show on one ticket. We just come out, reload at the snacks, and just rip. Like, I remember that you, you you did it a couple of times when you were living with me. You're like, I'm going to the movies. I'm like, okay. He's like, I'll see you tomorrow. And he meant it. He was like, gone at one, back at 11. He'd seen five movies. He'd ate like three buckets of popcorn. It was incredible to watch. So, yeah, yeah, there was a run from 1985 to basically 1996 for us. I mean, like, if it, made, if, if it came out and it made money, I saw it. You saw the movie somewhere. Yeah, totally. If, if it made money, but not off of you. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> You're not a sucker. Um, which which version is better, Whitney's or Dolly's? Oh, Dolly's by a mile. Dolly's by a mile. I always thought the song was kind of a joke. Like, I mean, it's so over the top and ridiculous. I mean, she goes for the big, like, and uh, I mean, they, you know, they cut she, up to the higher she gets key. It. And, well, of course she does. Yes. It's but it's kind of like watching so I feel like that song's like watching somebody juggle. Like, look at that. That's some pretty good juggling, but it's I am not moved by it. Now, I will say that we are the 997 millionth people to cue this song up on wow. YouTube. So, oh, yeah. it's going to have a billion listens by the end of the year. So, can we, I 
I should probably not speak further about my. I, I, for this I know we're trying to keep things tight, but what about juggling chainsaws? Are you in on that? Is that more exciting? <laughs> I like juggling. I like to watch juggling for about 11 seconds and then I get everything I need out of juggling. It's one of those amazing skills where I'm like, I wish, I wish it had more function in real life. So I didn't imagine people just practicing, practicing. for their 11 All second the chainsaw yeah. moment. You know, but I mean, what the hell? Like, yeah, it's cool. But I'm also like, you know, I'm like, I watch it. I'm like, and that's juggling. You know, it could be chainsaws, cats. It's all the same. Like, look at all that stuff in the air. How about that? As I recall, you feel the same way about the harmonica. You're not, the harmonica you're done with in about five seconds. We'll get there. If we ever get to the year Blues Traveler has a big hit, we'll talk about the harmonica. I will bring that home. Uh, All right, let's move on. We've got an invitation to cynicism competition not an invitation to cynicism question this is the year that jurassic park dominates the box office and no one is more cynical than jeff goldblum in jurassic park so i would like to have a jeff goldblum impersonation competition (laughs) who would like to go first I'm going to seed the ground the Jeff. Do it. <laughs> well, which, line, which moment do you want? You pick the Jurassic Park moment and I'll do it. Nature ben. finds a way. Well, yeah, that whole speech where he's like, yeah. uh, your uh, scientists, um, they uh, spend so much time asking whether they could. They didn't ask themselves whether they should. And uh, <laughs> you've put it in a box and you're, you're selling it. You're selling it. You're selling it. Well, uh, you uh, call progress. I um, call Richard and I call Worm. <laughs> All right. Nice job. I would have also gone with must go faster, which is actually still my favorite line in that movie. Uh, Dinosaurs like object and mirror. I like that. I still like that. I just watched that movie last year with Will and it was great. Oh yeah, that movie's good. That's a good movie. Solid, solid work. Better than the second one. Oh, and then you and I saw the third one in Middlebury with that uh, kid in front of us who kept screaming dinosaurs at the (laughs) screen. That was like a creepy night. Was like going to the movies with like the children of the corn. That was so rough. Uh, yeah, You're just killing him. him. You're killing him. It's because he he hasn't thought about that moment until right now in twenty years, and it was. Oh my so, god, he's wiping the tears away. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> right. uh, we're cutting that. But you're right. I have not thought of that in 20 years. Oh, so scary. All right. Uh, the impossible question, gentlemen. Hold on. I'm still, I'm still crying. I don't know if you know this, but I went through all of uh, 1993's uh, top albums on Rolling Stone. They have like 137. They've ranked them. Wow. Sadly, my pick did not make the ranking, which I'm still upset about. Here's who did. Vince Neil's solo album, Exposed. Did any of you partake in that? the Rolling Stone best of the 93 list? It came in like 137th, but... That record sucks 100%. I can't even name a song on that record. Did you actually listen to it, Jeff, or are you just assuming? Oh, I'm sure I heard like 45 seconds of a single and was like, yep, that's what Motley Crue would sound like with the worst parts kept and the best parts left out. So, Well, 
it, it made me think, though, out of all those hair bands whose time is now up here in 1993, which lead singer had the biggest solo career and which lead singer do you think should have had the biggest solo career? Depends. Oh. Do, you, do you count David Lee Roth? He's not a I, hair. Yeah, I was going to say so Roth. It's so funny. Out. I don't. I don't count Van Halen. Right, and you can't count Axl Rose either. So I mean, but right, I, those, yep. those are not, those don't count as hair metal bands. It's so funny. I think of David Lee Roth as one of them, but not Van Halen itself. But yeah. but let's let's toss him aside. Axl Rose doesn't do anything solo, anyways. <laughs> Chinese democracy. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, I th- I don't like. A, I mean, yeah. The short but, answer is that not like it ends for all of those guys. That that entire it just like, ends. It just totally ends. Yeah. None the of the bands. From- none of the bands put out good records. Let yeah. alone solo records. They just it just completely goes over the side of the cliff. So Brett Michaels from Rat had a nice voice. <laughs> guy from Rat. Brett Michaels from Poison had uh, kind of a second life as one of those celebrity big brother type dudes oh a reality and vince neal does too i mean yeah. a lot of these does guys really? get recycled that way yeah totally oh wow they all uh, have um they all have porn tapes too right both those uh, you, know more, the best, you know who had the best <laughs> solo act is uh the drummer in in motley crew tommy lee yeah he yeah. put out several records and sure mary pamela did. anderson and meanwhile the uh guy from skid row ended up on gilmore girls that, that guy can sing too. Yeah. Sebastian Bach is a pretty smart guy too. Every time I see him interviewed, he's he's pretty witty and funny. And and I didn't like Skid Row at all, but I like that guy. Yeah. And uh, his post Skid Row, just man about town. He's a raconteur, that guy. All right. Our three songs. Okay. Um, I think, I don't know, Tim and I agree, this was a hard year to choose. I had three selections, each one I just love. And Do you want Jeff to give you a signal? I'll just go through Before real go briskly. First. Okay. Um, the one that my daughters want, and it actually is probably currently my favorite song from this year, is Mary Jane's Last Dance, Tom Petty. Um, the... 16-year-old Ben Barton and 23-year-old Ben Barton felt very strongly that I should choose a song from Versus by Pearl Jam. Um, And I have a later Pearl Jam one coming up, and I'll explain why that one's later then. But here's what I'll say about that. The song that I choose is a song about finding happiness and peace amongst chaos. And that's where I'm at now. I am not the angry (laughs) person that loved Pearl Jam so much. So... Anybody who knew me in 1993, I wore this waffle Pearl Jam long sleeve shirt with a little bomb on it that said Pearl Jam on it, like almost every day. Huh. I started law school and I was just like Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam all the time. Anyone who stood still in front of me heard about it. Um, <laughs> and so I'm sad not to choose that. But um, later, this is a song that's come to mean a lot to me. I've listened to it many times in times of need. When I worked at a law firm after law school, it was a tough couple of years. I didn't really care for that work. Um, My screensaver were the first four lines to this song, just on loop. So like I would get up to go to the bathroom and come back and there it was waiting for me. When I came in in the morning, it was waiting for me. Um, Jeff, if you will hit us with 
A Cuff Rose by Uncle Tupelo. Uh, yes. Such a great pick. A Cuff Rose by Uncle Tupelo. Pete Townsend uh, triplet rhythm okay. part in there. The so I'll great. talk about Uncle Tupelo and what they mean in a second, but that song in particular, two minutes, 36 seconds, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, three chords in the entire song, hmm. open tune the guitar to G. And um, I think Jeff will definitely agree with this. If you love this kind of music, you're aware of how hard it is to write a good version of this song. Mm. It seems easy because it's so simple, but it's in fact the hardest thing, like, like doing a fancy song with a million changes and a bunch of bridges and that stuff is actually a lot easier to do than to write a spectacular, unbelievable two minute folk song that right. just grabs you by the heart and just pulls you in. Um, and that's why I love this one so much. The first verses, and then the chorus, everything cuts against the tide when you're by my side. So the first one is like a love relationship one. The second one is Acuff Rose, and that's the old country music publishing thing. Right. And instead of everything cuts against the tide when you're by my side, it's when I hear that side. So the second verse and chorus are about music. Yeah. And those two things in my life have always been what has saved me. That's like where I find my peace is with the, the right people, the right relationships, and with the right music. And so this song just speaks to me to no end. Um, and song of the year wise, dudes, these guys create all country. <laughs> yeah. Like they, right. they found this. Um, this is their fourth record. It's their first major label record. So first record's No Depression. And basically, there's two really, really famous guys in the band. There's Jay Farrar and Jeff Tweedy. And these are the guys who go on to find, found Sunvolt and Wilco um, and basically found Alt Country. So the first record is No Depression. And it's a bizarre mix of stuff. It's got a Lead Belly cover. It's got a Carter Family cover. And it's got a bunch of like weird punk songs on it. They called it Minutemen or Husker Do Meet Woody Guthrie. And that's actually a really good description of it. It really is. Then the second record, Still Feel Gone, they lean into the rock. And actually, that's actually my favorite Uncle Tupelo record. Like, it just shreds. Um, 
don't they and oh, by the way they're at this point they're doing the college radio thing they're signed to rockville records jeff how much did they get paid by rockville records for not one not two but three different records that they made for them uh geez i would guess less than five grand oh dude they got nothing Wow. Nothing. Rockville Records gave them 12 grand for each one of these stupid records. That's what they paid for the studio. And then Uh they never paid them any royalties. As far as I can tell, they put out like four other records. Dude, I mean, like uh, these records sold. These were uh, like on the college radio type stuff. Right. They were really big. Uh, They definitely sold 50,000 copies at least of Anodyne. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, Well, Anodyne's sire, though. Oh, okay. It's the March but 16th. But still feel gone, sold a lot. I oh, mean, totally. And dude, the, in the next one, March 16th to, and 20th, 1992, is a, a meet, like for this type of record. Is yeah, it's a medium hit, hit too. You're right. You're yeah. Right. So they, they're, they're from uh, down south Illinois, and they're basically playing the club scene in St. Louis and Belleville, Illinois. And they're going back and forth and just trying to make it, trying to make it. They cut still feel gone. It's not a hit. They're not getting paid. They go back to the record company. They're like, where's the money? And the record company's like, cut another record. So they take the money and they do this record called March 16th to 20th, 1992. Peter Buck, the guitarist of R.E.M. is the producer on it. They live in Peter Buck's house in Athens, Georgia. And they cut just a straight up old fashioned Bob Dylan's first record, um, Woody Guthrie type record. That's only country. And it's a like, it's actually a borderline hard listen, Jeff. Would you agree? Yeah, totally, so like, totally agree. Not, the, the, not, earlier, the earlier ones are a mix, but this one is just like a really up in your grill. And just to explain what kind of guys these guys were. So this is 1992. They've been told that they need to follow up on Still Feel Gone. Grunge is where they're going. Still Feel Gone <laughs> is a terrific grunge record. Uh-huh. And, um, and they, they go, decline. They, they decline. They're like, oh, no, no, we're going to put out just a 1937 country record. <laughs> put that in your pipe. So they do that. They get signed. Because if you can sell 50,000 copies of a 1932 country record, you've got something going on. And they put out Anodyne. And this is their breakup record. Right. And so... By this time, they hate each other, and in particular, Jay Farrar can't stand Tweedy. It's actually more complicated that, but keep going. I mean, so it's they, actually they, heartbreaking what happened. Yeah. I think. Well, well, yeah. good. You like, I, I'd be curious to hear your version of the story. So they, they're basically a trio throughout this period. They bring another guy, multi instrumentalist. They have other people to play with them, but it's Tweedy on bass, Farrar on guitar, and they're trading off songs. And it's a little bit like the Beatles, where. The guy who sings is the guy who wrote it. Like you can just tell immediately who wrote it. And so they're split, they're divvying it up all the way through. By the time they get to Anodyne, Tweedy's really kind of coming into his own. They get the bassist who eventually becomes the bassist in Wilco and is now still playing with Tweedy. He was the guitar tech. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And they get him on bass. Tweedy picks up the guitar and they've got this like spectacular two guitar attack. The record is really, really, really strong. Um, And the rock numbers are great on it. Yeah, break up and it's a really ugly, hideous breakup. They get their big break. They get they play on Conan O'Brien and the and the record company sire says they want them to play the long cut, which is a Tweety song. If you watch the video of Farrar, you can't see his face literally for four and a half minutes. He's just got the hair combed over his face and he's like, just get me out of this place. Uh, first record, Wilco's first record is AM, and um, Trace is the first record by Sunvolt. And it's, in my opinion, just a route for Sunvolt. I mean, that Sunvolt record is terrific. And AM is okay. 
Um, AM is all of the guys from Uncle Tupelo except for Ferrar. Ferrar goes off. He gets the old drummer from Uncle Tupelo and, and does the Sunvolt thing. And then the roles just flip. Like every Wilco record after that is better than every um, Sunvolt record after that. And then Wilco just goes on to be, you know, sort of legendary. Good stuff. Yeah, so, Jeff, what's your version well, of the uh, relationship? Well, Tweedy just assumes that he and Jay have worked everything out. Like, okay, he's going to sing his songs and I'll right. sing my songs. But, and this is what being in a band is like. You compromise and you find the middle ground and you you don't love everything the other guy does. But, I mean, he's a punk rocker, right? Like, Tweedy's like, like D Boone and Mike Watt were the polar sides of the Minutemen. And they were best friends, but they also fought all the time. And they right. sounded different and they... And so when Farrar just turned him, he's like, I've hated your guts for three years and I never want to see you again. Right. Uh, Tweedy did not feel that way. And he was like, wait, what? You hate my, like, this isn't you, just you like hate me? differences in, a, in aesthetic. Like, and uh, and Farrar just walked away and, and never really spoke to him again. And uh, I think it was for Tweedy, like just a, an earth shattering, like Tweedy is a, guy, is a glue guy. Like, look at his band. He's kept this six piece band together in its current incantation for 17 years without a personnel change. He built a loft in Chicago for them all to hang out in. He produces anybody who wants anything to do with him. Like if you're a guy and he thinks you're even remotely good, he's like, yeah, come to the loft, I'll make your record. Like the space is open for rent. Like you, the three of us could go make a record at the loft if we had the money and the inclination. Like let's record is a, a podcast there. He is a like, let's have a party, I'll bring the beer kind of guy and he was he found himself in a band with a painfully introverted tortured soul and rock and roll like rock and roll is a communal event and wilco is a rock band and and farrar just didn't have it in him he just didn't want to be in that kind of a artistic scenario you know i've i like trace um i don't think it's as much of a route as everybody does it felt like it in the moment because trace felt like an artistic attempt and am felt like guys who felt like they needed to make a record but um but being their routes straightaways and from then on in sunvolt sounds like a band trying to sound like sunvolt and it it's heartbreaking like they don't make good records and i've seen sunvolt live three times and it's a it's a sad joyless affair like i can no, agree with that i can attest that that's sad. I mean, it, it's a bummer and oh. i just so like watching those two guys, like watching Jay Farrar, like just go into the underbrush and Tweedy like look up and look around and say, hey, I think I could make a community. And he has done so like what 50 year old rock and roll fan doesn't hold a candle for Wilco? Like right. they're, they are the band that could be our lives. Like, I mean, they've been making music our entire adult lives and trying really hard to make it consistently relevant so but i love this really funny like the, i the, love this choice i love this <laughs> record and this band and uh absolutely growth ahead, over the course of uncle tupelo and then over wilco too is really breathtaking. amazing like right. ferrar i mean on the first record all the best songs are the ferrar songs so yep. mean, it's, and uh and tweedy just keeps working at it keeps working at it keeps working at it and by the time you get to anodyne and it's super cold for ferrar but the like the, the long cut the, the record company's not wrong that's, nope. If you're going to play on um, Conan O'Brien, that's the one to play for sure. All the best songs are his on that record. We've been had um, 15 Keys, not 15 Keys. What's the um, what's the other sing-along song? Whatever. They're all great. But the other thing that's amazing about Anodyne is it was tracked 100% live, no overdubs. Oh, yeah. That's, Dude, I forgot to say that. 
That's how what? they do their major no. label debut. Dude. No, no second takes, no overdubs, no, no, no cheating. There's a moment in Give Back the Key to My Heart when Ken Coomer makes such an unbelievable drum mistake. Like, it's like the kind of drum mistakes they left on songs in the 50s because they didn't have enough tape to do it again. Every time I listen to that record and hear that mistake, I imagine Ken Coomer somewhere like, you couldn't have given me another pass at that, man? <laughs> I have to live with that mistake the rest of my life, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but no, I mean, and you can hear it in A Cuff Rose, like, yep. the, like the filigree, like how detailed the violin part is, and then the mandolin part is, and then the harmonies. One take, one take, like freaking amazing. Yeah. It's unbelievable you picked this song because I just played it for my D period American studies class yesterday. I've got a, a fiddler in my class. And so she's, she's got no free periods because one of her free periods is taken up by just playing the fiddle. I'm like, oh. You know Uncle Tupelo? She's like, no. I'm like, oh, let's play a song for you. And, and that was the great. song I chose. Um, and the other thing get, I love, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Well, if you get a chance, read uh, Tweety's book. Let's, let's, what is it? Let's get there so we can get back or something like that. Let's go there so we can get back. And his description of Jay Farrar's breakup with him is just brutal. Like they're in that shitty apartment uh, where it's just filled with beer bottles and Tweety's just kind of taking it and just, he doesn't know what to say. He had no idea that Jay Farrar was that unhappy just being around him. And yeah. for someone who's got uh, anxieties already, it wasn't really a healthy moment for, for Tweety to I take. I will say, I mean, in, in defense of Farrar, we, the, the story has been told by Tweety. That, yeah. we, we get the yeah, Tweety yeah. version of the That's story. And, and I can tell, I mean, I'm sure it's not easy everyone knows like the little brother, big brother relationship yeah. isn't easy when the little brother becomes taller than the big brother. Like right. by the time the, the last record comes out, it must've been really, really hard on Farrar. And there's but like, also, the like Tweety's like a big loud personality. It'd be like if a golden retriever never shut down. Like, I mean, Farrar was a quiet <laughs> introspective guy and Tweety was like shaking everybody's hands and hug. I mean, like the thing that really jumped, the thing that really hits like, I definitely, there are people in my life who are annoyed by me just by my general extroversion who I would prefer to be liked by. And like huh. the fact that I know there are people I like who don't like me because my personality annoys them is a very difficult thing to learn that you have to live with. And I feel like that plays out on this record. And so that record hits home particularly for me because I know there are Jay Farrars in my little music circle who can't stand my Jeff Tweedy. And there's nothing I could do about it because I am Jeff Tweedy. I am the guy who's like, hey, what's your name? Let me ask you 700 questions about you. And that's just, what are you going to do? Uh, not yeah, everybody, there's like, not there's everybody some, clicks. There's song pairs. Like, like the long cut is about a relationship where you have to take your time and work it out. And in my opinion, that's definitely a song about this relationship. Mm, yeah. And the Farrar song is Chickamauga, where he compares oh, this God. relationship to the bloodiest battle of the Civil War. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's how you feel about it, huh? Yeah, that's so rough. So great. Right, right, Jeff, hit us. So, Good okay, stuff. so Mary Jane's Last Dance was in my top five, and A Cuff Rose was in my top five. All and, right. Uh, so we were all, we were, we we're all on the same uh, uh, wavelength. But I am going to go with Pearl Jam because Woo! that is, that, Excellent. this is the year. Like, I, you know, it's like you love a few bands more than you love everybody else. Like, I'm a Who fan like all the way to the bone, nothing I can do about it. I am a Clash fan all the way to the bone. There's nothing I can do about it. I fell for the replacements and the Hooskers in the 80s like that. But I, the last band 
that I loved with just white hot fire intensity was Pearl Jam. And it was like Pearl Jam 1993 to 99, 2000. Like that band, that, that was my band. Like I was fascinated by everything they did. And it wasn't 10 that did it. Like I liked 10 when it came out. I thought all those songs were great. I thought Jeremy was especially terrific from that record, but I wasn't all the way into to freakdom. Um, but I bought Verses on vinyl the day it came out when you could still do that. Um, and it was like a last minute version. Didn't even have Verses on the cover. It was the one with just the sheep and it just said Pearl Jam. Oh yeah, that's the one I had too. Took it home, put it on, and it was my favorite record after about 25 seconds. Like that record starts with all the like warming up sound and the big change, the, the two crucial things happen. One, they get rid of the Led Zeppelin pandering. Like 10 has guitar tones that are stolen right off of Houses of the Holy to the point where they're distracting. And second, the drummer, <laughs> the drummer on the 10 record is very good, but he's not anything particularly special. And they switch drummers and this guy, Dave, Dave Abrazese takes in, comes and he behind the kit on verses is explosive he's spectacular he takes everything to a new level and um and this record was recorded right down the street from where i was living and i saw them live on halloween october 1993 like and on the second night of the versus tour they started in the bay area and they played a show in a warm-up show in santa cruz and they played the greek theater and i had i was right in the front and um it's one of the absolute greatest shows I've ever seen. They were just magnificent. And I went and I just fell for these guys like a ton of bricks. And the best song on the record and my all-time favorite Pearl Jam song. And it's Ooh. a song I would Ooh. rank, I mean, in my all-time top 20, this song's in the in the conversation on certain oh, days. Like top I just, 20 is not that big a deal. Come on. Top five. Okay. Top five now we're song. talking. Let's You're talking go. to a guy that is has 32,000 songs in his computer, Tim. <laughs> top five is rarefied air. Um, it's the song Rearview Mirror. And Rearview Mirror is everything I love about rock music. It starts quietly. It builds to an absolute jet engine. It's a band performance. It's got an unbelievable guitar riff. And the vocal is absolutely spectacular. It's just controlled rage until it completely blows apart at the end. And it's a song, of, it's, it's a song that hits all the things that matter to me, like long drives with nothing but your own thoughts, uh, family history that demands reconciliation and, uh, and reinvention. Um, I just love this song. I love this record. And if there's, if there's a single song from the 90s, at least the first half of the 90s, to put in a time capsule, I think it's this one. So This is great. Joe is going to be very excited with you. Joe is? Yeah. Well, then I've done my job. Yep. Rearview Mirror by Pearl Jam. It was a beating 
so great. Yep. And it's like loose but tight and messy but focused. And the drums, man. The drums. The drums. Although the vocals really, I mean, like, Ed Ed here is like at the absolute top. We can't play it, but when he goes to that high review mirror and then they loop it back in over the ending, it's so powerful. And like when you see them live, this this they stretch out that middle part. Oh yeah, I can't believe we didn't choose the library. Oh, it's so great. And we Ben and I have seen Pearl Jam together so many times, and like in that ninety three to ninety eight moment when they get to rearview mirror, like it would last somewhere between six and ten minutes, depending on how on fire they were that night, and like. Uh floaty middle before it kicks back in is it's it's really genuinely transcendent just great song great band great still love it i'm not as angry but um (laughs) i'm angry again every time i hear it like it really does transport (laughs) it brings you back yeah yeah so i saw them at uh chrysler arena the basketball arena at uh michigan on that tour and they they were just absolutely rip shit you couldn't believe how good they were I'm completely with Jeff. Here, here's one thing that I, I think, and I'd be curious if Jeff agrees. I, I've had previous bands that I really loved. Um, I really, really, really loved the Rolling Stones in high school. That was my band. Um, and then I really, really, really loved Led Zeppelin. Um, and then I loved the punk acts. I loved the Clash. They, they were not my age. They weren't my band. Pearl Jam just came right in that sweet spot. Like they, these guys spoke to me their experience spoke to me, like the anger, the, the entire vibe. Like I remember really vividly trying to get into the smithereens because that the rock radio in New York was like, here, like it's, it's today's generation. This is the band. And I was like, yeah. well, I'll, I'll go buy this record. And I was like, the smithereens, the smithereens. And I was like, nah, it's really not very good, actually. <laughs> and so I was hungry for that. I wanted that. And this was it. This was totally it. And, and dude, like even more, like even more than the recorded stuff, seeing them live, you just couldn't believe how good they were. If I had chosen it, I would have chosen the go animal combo. That's my personal favorite from this record, Uh, but you can't go wrong. I mean, um, it's a spectacular, beautiful, amazing artistic statement. So good. I agree with that idea that they were, they were our age, our sensibility, like they, they, they were, they weren't like you too. Like they, you know, beamed in from Dublin and like were otherworldly and playing in stadiums. Like, Pearl Jam was like, remember they had the fight with Ticketmaster? Like you'd see them in totally bizarre places. Oh yeah, like, we'll get there when uh-huh. I do my year. But also, yeah. <laughs> the first band name was Mookie Blaylock. I was just I mean, gonna yeah. say, it just how made can you me not so love... happy? I was like a huge NBA fan. Yeah, it's not just like all of the guys I got. You sort of we sort of got to know, but Ahmed, the bassist, was just like yeah. such a hilarious character, super likable. He and Eddie were really into basketball and the Sonics yeah. and everything else. It was just great. Yeah, my friend Will, who lives in Montana, um, rode, like, met Amit on a plane home to Montana, where Amit is from. And he's like, you know, they're chatting, and they chat for, like, two hours before they get to, like, what do you do? And it's just like, oh, I'm a musician. And was like, oh, you know, you... How, you were like professionally full-time? He's like, yeah, yeah, full-time. This is 1995, <laughs> right? And the basis for Pearl Jam is like, yeah, yeah, full-time. Pretty much, I, you know, it's all I do. He's like, wow, that, congratulations. You know, my brother's a musician. It's really hard to make a living. He's like, yeah, yeah, I've been doing pretty well. Never like, just introduced him as Jeff. He had the that... furry hat on and everything. And like, he told us a story later. We're like, I'm pretty sure I know who that was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. That is great. Well, you guys did well. And we are on brand tonight. We are 
50 years of music with 50 year old white guys and we are we're in our groove right now in 1993 i am picking a band kevin brown's gonna be uh not surprised i am picking a boston band uh a boston band who who i think at fenway park just played with pearl jam or the lead singer bill janovich got up there and played a little pearl jam and he he was up there saying, can you believe this? A Boston kid playing Fenway Park. Uh, never thought you'd see that. But when you're, when you're with Pearl Jam, you can do things like that. So Jeff Simons, I've got an incredible story to close out our night. But before we get there, could you play Buffalo Tom late at night? Late at night by Buffalo Tom. Either of you guys like Buffalo Tom? I do, but I actually, this is the record that pushed, that took me off the track. I uh-huh. loved Bird Brain. I bugged Ben to death with that Bird Brain record in college. <laughs> and then I really liked Let Me Come Over. That's the one with Taillights Fade yeah, right. and Velvet Roof. And then I bought this record the day it came out and was so disappointed at how mid-tempo it was. Oh, uh, you don't like Soda I went, Jerk? I, it was okay. I, I'm uh-huh. looking. I kept Soda Jerk and Treehouse. The, you got rid of my, this one though, didn't you? That I took did. you a long time to like, find that puppy. <laughs> it did. I was, I, and I, it's because like I felt like they lost, they lost the kind of slightly out of control vibe that I liked so much about Uncle mm. Tupelo that they were they were experimenting with. But I got nothing against Bill Janowitz. He wrote a great book, Ben, about Exile on Main Street. He's a Rolling oh, Stones nice. uh, fanatic and a really good writer. But yeah, this record was my, this was the goodbye Buffalo Time record for me. Because uh, there, there's more after this too. But yeah. you're right. It's this is uh, so. 1993. I saw them this year. I saw them with the Blind Pig in Ann Arbor. Oh, look at I, that! I must have been on this tour. Wait, this? Oh, '93. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, they were they were probably great in '93. They were good. Yeah. I saw them a bunch in '93. I was the style section editor of the Northeastern News. I was going to concerts all the time. My buddy Danny was bartending at the Linwood Grill. So he and I would listen to this uh, this album over and over again. This is the funny part of the story. After this album, it kind of falls apart for them. And they go on a, a big old artistic hiatus. I think they're dropped by their label. And it's all the way in 97 where I'm teaching in Las Vegas and my little sister calls me. And she's like, oh, guess who I saw last night? I'm like, who? She's like, we went and saw Buffalo Tom. 
And I was like, oh, great. She's going to Providence College. They went to Lupo's and they saw Buffalo Tom. She's like, you're never going to believe it. I'm like, what? Well, he pulled me up on stage. I'm like, wait, Buffalo Tom, you, you went to see my band in Providence and you got to go on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We danced together and stuff like that. It was really great. I'm like, oh. So like, and then like, you know, there was a time where he put the guitar around, like, like he undid his guitar and then he put it around me and then he was playing his guitar. And I was, I was like, excuse me, what is happening right now? And so my little sister's telling me this and I realized my little sister clearly has grown up if she's going to Buffalo Tom concert. Two years later, I'm living in Hartford, Connecticut and Mike Devlin calls and he says, hey, guess who's playing at the Toad down in New Haven? I'm like, who? It's like Buffalo Tom comeback tour i'm like i'm in we're going to buffalo tom guys it was the saddest like they didn't sell out the toad in new haven they it's a sparse crowd it's guys our age that's it but not a lot of us and at one point they come out for their uh their one uh song or their one ovation song and they look at each other like and the lead singer bill janovich looks at his his bassist he's like should we do one more and the bass is like no no <laughs> it was so sad and oh, he's, like, he's like okay and the, it was like you realize the comeback ain't happening and at the toad the backstage is a stairwell down to the basement and so they you kind of descend sure off is. the stage underneath and meanwhile deb and i are about to leave and i was like let's go to the bathroom i go downstairs to the bathroom and i realize like oh i'm parallel with backstage i'm like mike come with me and we just walk in and it's the three of them and their manager sitting there having a beer. I'm like, Hey guys, you got a second? I'm like, yeah, what's up? I'm like, well, a couple of years ago, my sister called me. So <laughs> I recount the story of, of Bill Janovich do, undoing his guitar and putting it around my sister. And the bassist is terrified. Like, he's like, oh, God, this is going to be Yeah, he thinks this, he thinks this, this is going to go bad. Not only that the shitty gig, but this lunatic's going to kick oh, Bill's yeah. ass. No, for sure. And so, so I was like, I was like, did you do that? <laughs> and Bill Janovich's like, yeah, rock and roll. You know, you want a beer? <laughs> and that's how we, uh, that's how I buried the hatchet with Buffalo Tom. That's a great story. I have a good Toad's Place story too. I played there with Rich Price and oh, you uh, did? Okay. opened for Ziggy Marley and uh, oh, wow. Ziggy Marley's enormous bodyguard came up to, to Rich and said, don't only tree rules tonight and then you'll have a great set. Rule number one, don't talk to Ziggy. <laughs> rule number two, don't talk to Ziggy. Can you guess rule number three? <laughs> Rich is like, I got it. So, it was a real friendly vibe. We had a good old, we had a good old time. Ah, <laughs> uh, gentlemen, good stuff tonight. I will see you all next week. Timmy, yeah. well done, man. I right, hang everyone. in there. Bye bye. Bye bye. If you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. 
Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Lassa Gadat, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid. 